stated. Isn't it a refreshing and isn't it a joy to sing about the eternal God, His nature, about Jesus Christ, the Son. Be Thou My Vision, one of my favorite songs, of course, you know, you're really not supposed to do that song without bagpipes and strings. That's, that's what it's intended for. It's, old Scottish, it's put to an old Scottish hymn. Um, the words were written um, centuries ago. They're no less true today than they were when he wrote the song. If you think about the third verse where he says that Jesus Christ is his treasure, that it is Jesus Christ and Christ alone that he longs for. Is his, you can see his heart being put into the hymn in that third verse where he's longing for Christ. And you know, we need a fresh dose of that longing for Christ in our world. We need it. We long for so many things. Health. We long for prosperity. We long for comfort. We long for heaven. We long for the blessings of heaven. We long for all of these things. And I would say to you, if, if your heart, if your longing is only heaven and the blessings of heaven, then you are not in right relationship with Christ. Hear that again. If all you long for is heaven and the blessings of heaven, even eternal life, if that is what your heart longs for in itself, by itself, you cannot have a right relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ and Him alone must be your heart's desire. Heaven, everlasting life, forgiveness of sin, freedom from guilt, all the good gifts which come from God through the gospel, through Jesus Christ. They're wonderful, but they in themselves are not what you are to long for. How many times in our day do we talk about heaven and immediately we talk about seeing mama, brother or sister? I don't mean this disrespectfully to my family, but I mean it with all my heart. If there is no one there but the Lord, that's what heaven is. If for all of eternity I am solely the only one there and He is there, if I never see my mama, if I never see my father, if I never see brother or sister, friend, wife, Children, if I never see any of the angels, if I never see the great men of the Bible, if all I ever see for all of eternity is solidarity with the Lord, it's heaven. And if it's not heaven, when you think of that, if you don't think of heaven, you need to reevaluate who Jesus is in your life because you could be worshiping a false God called heaven or everlasting life or freedom from guilt or whatever your God may be. They can be just as big an idol in our lives as the things of, of the world. We must be careful. I am so glad to sing music which extols the greatness of Jesus Christ and pushes us to think that way. 
Now, as a caveat, as a warning before this message, I know many of you have uh, waited patiently for verse 12 and 13 of, first of John chapter 1. You've been placating me till I could get there. You've been waiting patiently, maybe impatiently, to see what I would say about these verses. I want to tell you this. These are difficult verses. These are hard verses. These are verses that require us to submit to the Holy Spirit who is our teacher. That He would teach us in the Word of God what is right. We will find things in the next week or so in these, in these verses that will strike down all pride. That will crush us as human beings. That will tell us that we are not the Lord. And we are not God. And so I say that up front because I want you, you're going to get, some of you, when, when we get started, you're going to get offended. And I, I want to warn you about that. Hang in there. If this is the first time you've ever dealt with some of these subjects, it's probably offensive to you. But be patient and be prayerful and beg God to reveal the truth to you. And then that He would give you the heart to submit to the truth. That's the key. Not just that you see it as truth. I've met plenty of people that say it's true. Oh, that's true, preacher, but... But... <laughs> oh, you know, just think about that statement. I know God says it, but... 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 What? <laughs> Should be the question we ask. So, I know it'll be difficult, possibly, but just be patient. Last week, we saw the authentic the real, the genuine light that has come into the world and He is revealing the hearts of every man. He is exposing the heart in, of every man that has come into the world in verse 9. And we know this is true because John three nineteen, just one page over says, and this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Everyone has been exposed by the light. Some, a lot of people, maybe the majority of people in our day, have rejected the light because they love their evil deeds. And they love darkness. And so we saw that, that the light has come. There's no problem with the light. The light, the source of the light is infinitely powerful. The light is infinitely capable of exposing our need for the light. But what is the problem? Blindness. Remember we said that if I had the lights off and we were in utter darkness and I was preaching and all of a sudden we turned the lights on, everyone would react except two. Blind men. They would not react to the light, the presence of light, because their world is dark utterly dark they can't perceive light at all and that is the problem in our world that is the problem of the world that jesus came into when he came into the world the world rejected him why because they were blind they were blind they could not see his light it's not that they didn't want to now we need to make that clear they didn't want to but that's not the base reason the base reason they were not able to accept Jesus for who He is is the condition of natural man. Remember we said, Jesus is glorious 
man is totally fallen. He is totally incapable of doing anything that would please God or bring him to God. He has no merit, nothing to offer to God. Nothing. He's bankrupt. He's morally, spiritually, physically, totally bankrupt in sin. And so, not only did the general world reject him, but he was rejected by his own. That's what verse 11 says. Israel rejected their Messiah. The grave picture is painted for us of the hall of humanity. Jesus is unbelievably glorious. Men are utterly despicable and totally fallen in sin. If John stopped writing there, we would need to go to a cliff and jump off. But verse 11 is followed by one of the most precious words in all of Scripture. The conjunction what? But. When you see God write but, and He's been describing humanity terribly. The man is lost. Man is utterly incapable of pleasing Him. But. That ought to perk you up. Some other instances of that conjunction being used that way, Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. If he stopped there, if Paul just stopped there, we need to go jump off a cliff. There's no hope. Death. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's a case where but is used in the same way in John 1.12. Ephesians. Take, take, hold your place because we're going to look over in Ephesians in just a little bit when we get to it. But Ephesians chapter 2. Now, Ephesians is a chronological description of salvation. It starts in chapter 1 with the eternal election of man, those who would be saved through Jesus Christ. And now he moves down into the description of the condition of natural man. Verse 1 says, And you He made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the Spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. That's the condition. That's the condition of every man that is born into the world. Disobedient. Walking according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the devil, and the Spirit that now works in disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of the mind and were by nature. Underline that word. Nature. By nature. Children of wrath, just as the others. Paul gives us another grave description of who humanity is, how we are born, by nature deserving God's wrath. God has the right to extinguish every man who comes into life. He has the right to send every man to hell. He has that right because we are sinners. That would be just. If God did it, it would be just. Look at the next verse. But. There it is again. That conjunction. I'm telling you, when you're reading your Bible and you come to but, slow down, back up, read what just came before because you were probably sleeping through it. Like I do when I read a lot of times. Back up when you see but and read it again. and So you get the picture. Because see, he painted this dark, hopeless condition of all mankind. But God, rich in mercy, 
Because of his great love with which he loved us. Now we're getting to the part we all like to hear, aren't we? We might not like the first part before the but, but man, hurry and get to that next part. We've done that in this text. We're in in John. I, I did that with the but to show you that conjunction is important. We have painted the negative picture. The world rejected Jesus. The Jews rejected Jesus. We did it because by nature we are fallen and incapable of believing and receiving Him. We have no hope. We are people in the world doomed to be slaves to sin. Jesus says you are that way because you have rejected the light and loved darkness and evil. That's the description that we just left with last week. Now we come to verse 12 and we should all take a sigh of relief and say, But... He didn't end. John didn't stop. But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in His name. We want to look at that verse. We want to talk about it. Jesus is infinitely radiant in His glory. Man is totally depraved in His fallen nature. Now John tells us that God is absolutely sovereign in salvation. He gives the whole third leg of the stool. If you, the, you know, the stool that has three legs, you've got man that's fallen. That's one leg. You've got Jesus who is glorious. That's a second leg. And you have the third leg of the stool, which is necessary for that stool to stand. God is sovereign in salvation. Now that's the picture that we've been given here. And I, we're going to complete, hopefully, that picture. I want you to believe three things when you leave this room today. And if you believe these three things, you will be a child of God. First of all, salvation is simple. You must believe Jesus by faith to become a child of God. Salvation is not complicated. People are not lost today because they cannot mentally grasp the truth of the gospel. Physically, mentally, Everyone in this room has IQ enough to understand the words of the Scripture and, and assent to them and believe them. I don't want you to leave here thinking, man, salvation is too complicated. I just can't figure it out. Don't try so hard. Listen to it and believe it. Understand that God is not the Father, first of all, of all mankind. We are given a, the, those who believe are given a special designation, the children of God. Sure, God owns everything and He owns everyone. But He is not a father to everyone. He's not a father to all. Not everyone. This is the question I want you to press into your mind today as you listen to this message. Not everyone is a child of God, am I? Not everyone is a child of God, am I? It's an important question. Jesus came to His own, but they received Him not. Salvation cannot be a national or a group event. Israel had no hope to offer their people because they were the nation Israel. Everyone in the nation physically in Israel, the nation of Israel, was not believers. They were believers, people of Israel, the nation Israel, Jewish by descent, who died and went to hell, there are those who are dying today and going to hell. A nation cannot bring you salvation. Salvation is personal. No one ever goes to heaven in a crowd. Think about that. No one ever goes to heaven in a crowd. There's no, there's no 
family lineage to bring you here. You're not saved today because your mother or your father were saved. You cannot be saved because you were in the Sunday school class and the teacher said, all you children are saved. You can't be saved that way. Salvation is not even extended to an entire congregation through water or through communion. Salvation is not extended to groups of people. Salvation is highly and intensely personal. It is you and God. Not you and God and your whole family. People believe that. Do you understand? I talk with people regularly who tell me, Oh yeah, I'm a Christian. My whole family is Christians. Well, that sounds great. Then you start talking to them. What they really mean is, my parents had faith. I have my parents' faith. I don't have my own faith. I've never had a personal experience with Jesus Christ. I'm just believing. I'm piggybacking off mom and daddy. No one ever comes to God that way. You can't come to salvation through a group in that setting. Jesus teaches in John 8, 34 through 36. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not continue in the house forever. The son continues forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Salvation is personal. The description of the Bible of the lost humanity is they are slaves to sin. Individually, every one of them has sinned and will continue to sin. They are slaves. And Jesus' description is quite fitting. Slaves will not be in the house forever. There will come a day when the slaves will be removed from the house. Yeah, you may be in life, in, in among, counted among the living today, but tomorrow you be, may be counted among the dead. And if you are a slave to sin when you die, you will be removed from the house. But sons, Jesus says, they're in the house forever. And who the Son sets free is free indeed. Salvation is personal. Salvation is not group. It's not households. It's not nations. And this strikes against everything the Jews who are listening to reading this book and hearing John. It goes against everything they've ever been taught or believed. Salvation being a personal act. What is it? What is the personal act that brings me into the sonship of God? Listen closely. You receive Christ through faith. This text says, But as many as received Him, skip down, to those who believe in His name. You've got to receive, believe. Same idea here in the text. Receiving and believing. Now that's the crux of what I want you to catch. You've got to take home with you. Believing. What is this word believing? What does it involve? What, what do you mean believe? There are three ideas that are contained and are necessary for belief. The first is you must have knowledge. You cannot believe in something unless you have knowledge of it. You, you agree with that? I mean, you first got to know who Jesus is. And there is a historical Jesus. He is verified for us in the Scriptures, and He is verified for us in the world's literature. He's historical. He did exist. 
You, to be saved, must know who this Jesus is. You must know the facts about Him. You must, in your mind, know those facts. You can't have faith in something. This is not blind faith that you just kind of leap out there into nothing. No. Faith, this believing in His name, requires you know who He is. You've got to come to a point of knowing the facts of Jesus Christ. It's got to go further. That's the beginning stages. You also must have an emotional acknowledgement of those, an assent to the facts. In a way, I know the facts and I believe the facts. That's an emotional response to them. Demons have these first levels of belief. James 2, 19 says, You believe in Jesus Christ? You believe in God? You do well. The demons believe and tremble. They believe, they have the facts, and they tremble at the facts. Every demon who ever came into contact with our Lord, even in His earthly body, was scared literally to death. I would say it another way, but it wouldn't be kind to the audience. They had it scared out of them. (laughs) Unfortunately not. See the Lord when He comes to the demoniac, the man that was in the tombs possessed by legion. Jesus didn't speak to the man. Jesus showed up in a boat, got off on dry land, and the man came to Jesus and fell at his feet and cried out, Son of man, what have we to do with you? Leave us alone. That's what they're saying. Leave us alone. We know who you are. We know what you have power to do. Whatever you say will happen. They ascend to the fact that Jesus is the Lord. Of them. They assent to it. They admit it. They know the day is coming when they will be locked in eternal punishment. That day is coming and they know it's coming. Satan knows the truth. In his mind. In his emotions. He knows it. He does not trust the Lord Jesus. That is the final layer of this word belief. You read believe. It is not simple I know the facts. It is not simple. I know the facts and believe that they're true. And see, you could know the facts and not believe them. That would be the first level. I know the facts, but I don't believe it. There's people like that. Then you could say, I know the facts, I believe it. That's the second level. That's not enough for salvation. Satan has that much. The third step is necessary for salvation. It is what John says... But to those who receive Him, that believe in His name, believe. This is the word. This is what it means. That they trust, they throw themselves on the object of Christ as their only hope. That's believing. Understand, it's trust. In other words, to be saved, if you're in here today and you have not completely thrown yourself on Christ and His cross and said, without, if Jesus, this is the statement of a believer. This is what I would say to you. If Jesus Christ is not the only way to the Father, then I am doomed. If Jesus Christ is not the way to the Father, I have no hope. I have no plan B. 
I'm not taking Pascal's wager. Some of you know what that is. Pascal was a great philosopher, 50-50 chance. Could be God, could not be God. If there is no God and I believe, I lose nothing. If there is a God and I don't believe, I lose everything. So I must believe there is a God. 50-50, toy call. Coin toss. Toy. Coin toss. You can't come to Jesus that way. John is telling you, you must receive Him. The only way to receive Him is to throw yourself on His name. To fling yourself to His cross and to hold to it and say, there is no hope for me. If this cross is not sufficient, I'm doomed. I can't earn it. My parents can't earn it. My lineage can't earn it. Nothing. No other person can earn it. God's not going to get me to the judgment seat. Well, you didn't believe in Jesus, but you're a pretty good guy. You'll come on in. It's not going to happen. I want you to take that home with you. The gospel is simple. Salvation is simple. It requires believing, throwing yourself at the mercy of Jesus Christ and saying, I have no hope if you're not hope. I have no life if you're not life. I have no sustenance and no sufficiency. If you're not it, I have nothing. I'm doomed. Faith on anyone other than Jesus Christ is false faith. The TV evangelist and the modern church and the postmodern church and whatever else you want to call it can believe you can come to Jesus and Buddha and Hinduism. They can believe whatever they want to believe. It is a false teaching. I tell you, if you have faith in anything or anyone besides Jesus Christ, whether that be yourself, your family, your race, your other religion, you are doomed for failure. You have no hope. Jesus is hope. He is the only hope for mankind. If you do not have Him, there's no hope. Faith is only... This is interesting. Faith cannot save you. I heard my counterpart on TV just this week, Joel Olstein, say, well, I believe if you have faith, you will be saved. I kind of perked up. He was pressed by Wolf Blitzer. So you believe it must be faith in Christ? Well, I'm not anybody's judge with that smile. I can't judge anybody. You just have to have faith. And faith is a good thing. And faith marries us to God. And we'll be okay if we have faith. No, you won't. Faith is only as powerful as the object you have faith in. Faith is useless. It is useless unless it is anchored to Jesus Christ. That's why it's not enough to say, I believe the facts. I'm not, it's not enough to say, I believe that they're true. You must cling to Him, anchor to Him in faith and say, if He is not the way, there is no way. If He is not our hope, there is no hope. If He is not the bread of life, I will starve. If He is not the water of the living water, I will thirst. If He doesn't forgive me and pardon my sin through His blood, I cannot be pardoned. There's no alternative roots because faith is a thing that must be placed in one object, in an object, and it is only as powerful as the object. 
and the object of our faith. We're not saved by faith. We are saved by faith through Christ. The implication of the Scripture is faith is the vehicle which brings you to Christ who will save you. It doesn't save you. Faith is not enough. And so I want you to understand salvation is simple. Salvation is offered through Jesus Christ and Him alone. It requires believing, throwing yourself on Him as your only hope, and you must cling to Him. His name is what we have faith in, and what a name it is. He's the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus Christ, anointed of the Father. He is God in the flesh, and you are to cast yourself on Him or you will have no hope. Belief in Jesus means and requires that He be your Master. You can't cling to Him and yourself. You can't cling to Him and Him be your Master and you be your Master. It is only the faith requires, brings you to Christ, yes, and then Christ becomes your owner, your Master. You cannot keep your old life and add Jesus to it. It's total surrender. That's why I keep using the verbiage of throwing yourself, clinging, falling down, resting, anchoring in Him because you disappear. I want to show you a response of some people who were good folks, I'm sure. Good religious folks. They heard Jesus in the flesh preach the gospel. And they responded. I want to read to you Luke 4. Jesus preaching in His hometown. So He came to Nazareth where He had been brought up. And as His custom was, He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And He was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when He had opened the book, He found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon Me because He has anointed Me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent Me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were upon him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? That response is key because some of you have heard everything I've said up to this point and you accept it. You, you say, that's exactly right. It brought joy to your heart. But look at how the passage continues. You would expect a great revival, right? These people in the temple are going to get saved. Jesus says, you will surely say this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also in your own country. Then he said, assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country, but I tell you truly, many widows will, were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up for three years and six months. And there was a great famine throughout all the land. But, all, but none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath 
in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. Look at their response now. Then all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with rage and rose up and thrust him out of the city and they led him to the brow of a hill on which their city was built and that they might throw him down over the cliff. And what I'm saying to you is many of you were with me and you were right there in my back pocket until I said Jesus is the only way and then you jumped out. It doesn't anger people to talk about faith. It doesn't anger anger people to talk about God. It angers people to say, God is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God, and He is the only way. As long as you stay general with lost folks, they're going to go with you, most of them in this nation. They're going to say, yeah, you're right. Preach it, brother. God is good. He, you know, he's going to help me out. They're going to go with you. I got faith. I believe. And then when you say, in Jesus Christ, wrath, rage. As I've been speaking, some of you have had rage in your heart. I can't see it, but you've got it. We're no different than the people of Nazareth. Responses will be near the same. There are those in here who still have not received Christ through faith, by faith. So, you're angry. Well, I want to say to you, the conditions are clear. You must receive Jesus Christ, the light of the world, and believe Continually believe on His name. Belief is not an agreement to doctrinal facts, although that's necessary. Belief is seeing and savoring Jesus as the all-satisfying bread of heaven, the living water that quenches thirst. Believing is being satisfied with Christ and Him alone. But as many as received Him, to them gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in His name. Salvation is simple. It requires receiving and believing. Believing which throws away all other hope and casts it on Christ alone and savors Him. John Piper has helped me on this subject a lot lately. I've read countless articles and books and things by him on savoring Christ. That sounds neat, doesn't it? Savoring Christ. It's important. Without savoring, without the savoring, life is dreadful. Without savoring Christ, life is monotonous. Without savoring Him as the bread of life, living water, the only hope of mankind, my God, my Master. Without that savoring and cherishing, you must continue to seek and see if you know Him. Seeing is not enough. It's interesting. Seeing is not enough. But all those who truly see, all those who actually see it, savor it. They're not, they're, they're not the same, but they're inseparable. Same condition. I'm preaching, it's dark, and there's blind people in the congregation. The lights come on, 
the blind people are still blind. And then, unseen to us, the Spirit of God comes to those blind one at a time and opens their eyes to the light of the gospel. None of them will say, close my eyes. None of them will say, nah, I saw him, but I'd rather stay myself. I'd rather stay in darkness. None of them. All of them, once eyes are opened, will savor. They see him, and they will savor him. And so I have to leave you with this. Not everyone is the child of God. Are you? How can I know? Do you believe in him? Have you cast your hope on him? Is he all that you have? How do I know if I've done that? Is he the treasure of your life? Do you savor him? Do you long for him? Do you thirst for him? Without that, it's impossible for you to know. It's impossible for me to know. So you're in that boat. We're ending, obviously. You're here and you savor him. Pray God continues to bless you with his grace and you continue to see Christ as all glorious. Don't ever take it for granted. Just because it's eternal does not mean you're to sit back and say, well, well, God will stoke the fire. No, press hard after God. You're here and you say, I've, I believe it. I know that I believe it and I've cast my hope on him, but I just don't savor him. All I ask is that you simply cry out to your father in heaven because he hears his children. He answers their prayers. He does not want you to go through this life not loving his son. He does not want you to simply have fire insurance to get you out of hell. He wants you to have life and life more abundant. If you don't have abundance in your life, call out to Jesus Christ. Ask Him to make Himself more real, more visible, more of a savor to you, savoring to you. Third category of people. There's only three categories here. The last one is you do not believe. You know the facts. Obviously, you heard them today. You know the facts. You even may give emotional acknowledgement to the facts, but you've never thrown your hope. You've never cast your lot. You've never clung to the cross and it alone. I beg you, come to Christ. He is holding out hands saying, come to me, all who are weary and heaven laden. I will give you rest. At the end of the scripture, the bride is bidding you come. The Spirit of God is bidding you come. Jesus Christ himself is saying, come to me, all who are naked, all who are thirsty, all who are hungry. Come. Come. If you are in that condition, I beg you before this day is over, come. I'm not ashamed to beg you. Please consider it and come. And I have this hope. All, we're going to see this next week. 
all who the Father calls will come. All who he draws, all who he makes alive will come. I pray there are some here today who will be made alive and come. We will rejoice with you and help you hopefully grow in love of the Lord. But I can't make you come. I can't twist your arm enough and I can't offer you enough good things. I can't make you. It's personal between you and God. Let's pray. Oh Lord, how simple salvation is. But it is a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentile. It's simple, but it's not easy to accept. Because God, we have a propensity to want to be our own masters. We want to master this ship to its final destination with our own strength and our own ability. We do not want to resign and recline and reside in you as our only hope. And so we're lost as humans. And God, I pray that you will open the eyes of the blind today. That you will breathe life into that dead corpse. God, I pray that there are those in this congregation, I pray that they would not hold on to tradition. They would not hold on to some past event where they walked an aisle, said a prayer, and did something. None of those are bad. None of those are bad. But they're not enough. I pray, God, that you would make all of us desire Christ more. But for those who are lost, Lord, it needs to be done for the first time. And I pray that as they battle with unbelief, I pray you would make their unbelief believing. And I pray that you would make their blind eyes have sight and their dead corpse have breath. And I pray, God, that you would put that heart of flesh in them and you would plant them in the land and you would have joy over them and that they would be a part of the family and part of the number of the children of God that they might gain the inheritance of you yourself through Jesus Christ and all the glorious gifts thereafter. God, we praise you for them. I pray that you would deal so strongly with those who are lost, strongly with those Christians who are mediocre. I pray that you would deal so strongly that they could have no rest, that there would be no satisfaction until you, Lord, are glorified in their life. And it's in your Son's name, Jesus, that we pray.